The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from WarbirdRadio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening. I hope to hear from you sometime at WarbirdRadio.com. G'day, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran. And we're from Plane Crazy Down Under, Australia's aviation show. And you can find us at planecrazydownunder.com. We reckon for the best coverage of the Kiwi Warbird restoration and aviation scene, you can't go past Dave Homewood and the Wings Over New Zealand show. On you, Dave. Yeah, good on you, mate. Yeah, we've got to get to New Zealand soon. Where is that anyway? Well, it's where I grew up. I thought that was Brisbane. I remember some men started praying and others started crying. Um, Part way through it, one guy got to his feet and started to run. I was scared and let that be no secret. Next thing they set the spando up there and they opened up. And there's bloody trees, bits of trees flying. New Zealand tanks were over the other river and one of our men said to them, he said, don't start your tanks up. For five minutes, we'll be out of it. Well, some silly bugger started his tank and the Germans put over a shell and right in the middle of the bridge. It was a bitterly cold morning and I scratched down in this damn hole and it took me two days before I could stand up straight again. Here are the stories of New Zealanders in the Italian campaign in World War II, the Courage and Valor podcast. www.newzealandersatwar.com This is Extended, the ETOPS Aviation Podcast. Here's Peter Johnson. We're in front of the Merlin. Can you tell us a little bit about the aircraft? What aircraft did you fly before? Uh, Sohoi 22. Right, okay. That's quite an interesting aircraft. Mm -hmm. What was that like to fly? Faster. Yeah. (laughs) Gareth Stringer. Make no bones about it. This is still a very capable aircraft. The cockpit's very cramped, you've got leg restraints on, you're sat on a seat that's got explosives in it. Tim Robinson. Also the A400M, got to go inside and uh, have a poke around with. Just taking me on the trip of a lifetime in a F-18F Super Hornet. Aviation-extended.co.uk And remember, there's no E at the beginning of Extended. Extend it. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.
always start by asking your full name. Yes, it's Hayden Clarence Finbow. Okay. And your place of birth? My place of birth was in Suffolk, um, England. What was the town? Or well, it was near, I suppose, near Stowe Market. Okay. Which, uh, was it a little village or...? I was in a village, yeah, Cotton was the actual village. Okay, yep. Um, apart from that, it was... Well, it's sort of a old country sort of area, you know. Right. And what was your um, what was your service number? I had two. I had one when I was a sergeant, or when I got my wing. Yeah. And then I got commissioned later on, so I got two. Right. So, um, uh, the commissioned one was one seven five nine six four. And the other one was one three nine one eight six six. Okay, I didn't realise that they changed your service number when you got a commission in the army. Yeah, they didn't do they, that. Here. They, they wiped everything out. Yeah. All all your um, what you did and before and all that sort of stuff and wow. whether you were a good boy or not. And, yeah. You know. So all your black marks disappeared. Oh right? yes. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> So you grew up in Cotton? Yes, yes, yeah. And uh, do you remember um, your earliest uh, encounter with aviation? Did you see many aeroplanes when you were growing up? Um, I did, I saw quite a lot, but they were the old biplanes and the the most modern one I saw was a Comet, which if you had one one then, it was a lovely thing. There, and they used to do hold the King's Cup air race, and because where we lived, uh, from Ipswich down to Norwich, the main line, and they'd follow those down, and they'd be flying at perhaps what three or four hundred feet, no more, and, and a real old one, you know, some of these where you're almost using your throttle to keep it going. Yeah. Yeah, that sort of thing. And that, that started me off. And then I started um, building air, model aircraft. And I used to get the plans from Hobbies, which was one of the main ones. And then I made one or two of my own, designed one. I'm thinking of it. I, I was thinking of this the other day. I built one that's almost like the Vulcan bomber. Yeah. And I got the idea from my father because he liked playing darts and we got a dart board and they used to be feather darts then, you know, flights and whatever. With a lump of lead on the end. And I was looking at it one day and I thought, that's a nice shape because it was a flight like that. And it gave me the I wonder if I could make a plane like it. Which I did. In a flu? Oh, a flu. But it was a propeller one, of course. Yep. And we never had any um, engines, I think, then. And uh, it, it flew faster than a normal one. But it wouldn't glide or anything. I mean, once it stopped, it was. Yeah. That's how they. So were these using the rubber band power? Or yes, yep. yeah, yeah. 
Where did you fly them? Just in your local? Oh, oh yeah, near nearby in local. Yeah, in the cornfields actually, when they've cut the corn, you know, all the stubble, and because there's some twenty or uh, twenty and thirty acre um, fields, we just come do that. Farmers didn't mind; they never knew anyway. That's right. <laughs> Did you um, did you ever go to any air shows before the war? I went to one, and that was it at Marsham Heath, which was um, oh, it must have been 1938 or around about that, because that was when the Spitfire first flew, and uh, they it was a big day one. This Spitfire, this new modern plane, nobody seen or whatever, and it was flying over Edinburgh, which is right in Scotland. And they said, if you look, it'll say about 20 minutes' time over that, that horizon, keep your eyes on it, and you'll see. And then it, it, it appeared from Edinburgh at 400 miles away. <laughs> and they didn't tell you that when he was circling around over Edinburgh, he was about 22 or 3,000 feet, because he just shot in the <laughs> and he went like the clappers, I mean, compared to uh, the ones that we've seen. And even then, I mean, it was, oh, it was, it was a beautiful plane. That must have been a big thrill for a boy like yourself to Yeah, see. yeah, we, we used to cycle to these different places. It's not far from... Felixstowe, really, it's on the Felixstowe Road. And a friend of mine, he used to, with two of us, we used to cycle and see things like that. The only other one, I've never actually been near, not to touch a plane or anything like that. I'd never been inside one, of course. And uh, until I started to fly. That was good. It, it, all the uh, modern, to then, the early modern planes were there. And, and the, I can't think of the name of the, there's a big airliner there. Early, uh, it used to do the transatlantic stuff and thing. That was about one of the first ones. But the crowds that used to get there, I must Fantastic. Because Marksham Heath during the war was uh, one of the big aerodromes. And uh, oh yeah, I just sort of really enjoyed that. So you decided at that stage that you wanted to go into the Air Force? Well, because the war was on then. Um, war started in 39 and it was just after 30, 19, 41, I, I used to cycle to work every day, and that was when, just after the Battle of Britain and when the planes were out, and, and there was a, <coughs> a twin-engine plane that I saw then, I don't know whether it was a 88 or similar thing, and there was the three Spitfires were uh, attacking it, and you'd see one, they were doing the old mod of what they then was a number something or other. They'd have three aircraft flying in, in. and um, one would first go in and 
fire at it and then he go away, another one come in and fire at it and so on. And I watched this and the bloody bullets and all the cartridge cases and everything were flying all over the place. <laughs> a fellow worked on the road actually. And he said to me, for Christ's sake, get in that bloody ditch, boy. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so that, that, and I thought, oh, surely they can hit the thing and bring it down. <laughs> and then, uh, oh, I've got to be up there, sort of thing, that, that sort of thing, you know. So, so where, where were you working at that time? I was working with my uncle. He was a plumber and agricultural engineering. I used to cycle for four and a half miles each, each day, there and back. But, um, so I, I saw quite a lot of things like that. And, and uh, the, during the Battle of Britain, we were out um, towards the coast. And you see the planes and all the trailers, trials in the air and things like that. And then, of course, when Dunkirk was on, you could hear the guns hammering away all day long. You could see some of the smoke that was coming up. And, uh, so, uh, but, you know, everybody said then, oh, you're an idiot, but there again. <laughs> I want to be up there. Because building planes as well, it helped, I suppose. Yes. Really. Father was in the First World War, and he got badly wounded in the Somme. That was the Somme. And of course, when I said I want to join up, well, oh, you're a bloody idiot. You know, he said, it's terrible. He said, we in the trenches, we were walking, there were bodies, dead ones, and torn limbs, and you know, that sort of thing. For goodness sake. And, I'm glad you think you're going to wear any Air Force, but for goodness sake, don't wear any Army, sort of And uh, <coughs> that, that's how it came. I mean, it's really, oh, I'm going in, there's no doubt about that. <coughs> so then, this little bit was in the paper that uh, I, I went to the recruiting office in Ipswich and uh, went in there and I said, I want to join the Air Force, please, as, as air crew. I want to be a pilot. And this sergeant, the sergeant was sitting at a desk there, and a corporal was over there, and they looked at each other and he said, well, Can we just ask how old you are? Because I look like a little kid. Really. And I told him, Well, don't bother about joining yet, Sonny. Come back when you're old enough, you know. So I said, Well, I'll, I'll be 18 in two months' time. And uh, after that, I said, well, look, I've just cycled 18 miles to come here and join up. Surely you can put me name down and call me up when I'm 18. And one of the other said, well, it'd be very irregular, but I, I suppose we could, that sort of thing, you know, which they did. And then, of course, I came back from work one day, because I was living with Mum and Dad, and uh, when I walked in, I said, what was a telegram for you? Cause, and it's from the Air Ministry. And that was to report to 
Euston House in London on the uh, 6th of June. Because my birthday was the 6th of May, so that's exactly a month. So then I went up there and had a medical and exams and cro- about three days we were there doing different things. We had a, a very stiff medical. It was, um, well, they measured everything, your legs and your arms and all your joints and your breathing and your chest expansion and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, okay, uh, right, now, um, you, won't, you won't get paid for this because you were sworn in and they swore you in and um, you get a shilling or something or sixpence for kings sixpence I think and uh, when you're or you will be caught we will call you when we're what well it took about or six weeks before they actually sent me a telegram again with train fare and all that paid and whatever so uh, I went up then I had to go to London as well but that was um, uh, what a place was it what is it? it was near Lord's Cricket Ground oh, yeah. yeah just across the road from there yeah. and it was a more like a looked like a chapel almost the hall probably thing. I remember he was got some steps to go up uh, <coughs> and I said that because now bring your um, nightwear and toothbrush and all that sort of thing and uh, then <coughs> we went and did that and for the first um, day they sort of you know got us all organised and split up into different flights and things like that. And they marched us through Regent's Park to a building which was near, almost near the zoo gates. And we went there and they said, right, well, we can't do much today now because it's too late because you've got to have a medical. Oh, no, we did, that's right, we had the medical first, or inoculations and everything. And that was quite a, a do. The whole, oh, must have been hundreds and hundreds of. Abbey Lodge was where we went. That used, that's a recording studio we used to be. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, we did all that. And uh, and they said, right, well, we'll take you to a billet. So we all marched over. Well, marched, we walked, really. And uh, they. Um, took us to where we were going to be uh, billets were which was up um, George or Street or something like and uh, right now your, your blankets will be there they've already got the blankets in, in there and we were in about I suppose six or eight of us to a room not very big but big enough and we had uh, three 
two by two, um, not mattresses, but straw filled, filled things. I'm about to make a bed with it. There was three of them. I used to sleep on them. And, uh, and you had the two blankets, which you had to wrap one round for a start to stop them slipping all over the bloody place. And, uh, and, uh, and then we slept there for the night, and then the next morning, that's right, we went, right, we'd have our medical. So we had to go in for a big place, and uh, there must have been oh, 200 of us. And they were all lined up, so we had to go, we, ha we had to take all our top off, leave the pants and everything on and leave our clothes up one end. And we all had to come round like that and back up. And there's several sort of benches along with doctors and nurses and all along. And as you went along, the first bit you had was inoculation. Well, they scrabbed four bits on your arm, did that. Uh, a little bit further, you had a blood uh, well, they sucked blood out and it wandered thin needle it was oh it must have been eight of an inch nearly they just rammed it in like that it's like a nail. yeah and then we did that and then they inoculated you but they didn't do it in your arm or in like they normally it under your breast there and they they put one in and left it there put another one in and then got the two together somehow with his hand and screwed like that. And you should have seen some of the fellas who were standing and plonk down all over the place. Especially, the, especially some of the larger ones. And then of course we went round and dressed and started to get stiff and it was really painful. So they told us right now you can go on uh, off for the rest of the day and then we'll get your uniform and never tomorrow. So, um, they, uh, now I see. Yeah, anyway, we went, the night we went and slept up there. We weren't to drink any liquor or have a bath or anything like that because it might affect the thing. So that was okay. Well, we did that and, uh, Oh, and then, right, we go down and have a meal. And, because the zoo wasn't far away, opposite where we were, nearly. So, we went in, into the zoo, through the zoo, zoo gates, and there's cages with monkeys still in them. Yeah, make no other noise. And we go in, and uh, we have our meal. Well, they give us a, a little tin thing, like that. Everything goes in this tin. You know, if you have a sweet and uh, everything else, it's just all rammed in one tin. They give you about 10 minutes to eat it, and then you round and wash it up and whatever. And then you, you've had to, your tea, your tea is horrible. You've got bromide in it. Okay, just uh, stop us being naughty boys for a few days, I suppose. And, um, then we went off and a sergeant, they then appointed a sergeant to look after. They spread up into different flights and uh, 
and then we right he said right now we're going down to just the back of Lord's Cricket Ground so we wind our way round I don't know if you know you know about it Lord, yeah, we, so we marched through down the path all the civilians were still walking about there and we, well, we were in in uh, in threes of course and marched there and we went in and uh, drew our uniforms we got two pairs of boots one with hobnails in and, and he, you know heel irons and a, a softer pair and then uh, two vests which were rough and pants things like that and, and the actual uniform we, we had we had a uniform and a battle dress um, you know for not for bad and uh, that was okay well then the sergeant said right well, you go and organize yourself for the rest of the day and clean or put some polish and make your boots shine you know sort of some other boys oh we know how to do that we, you know i call it boning the shoes Someone was rubbing away using all different things. And then after that, we, for the, for the next, what, probably nearly 30 days, we were there. And uh, ACRC, it was called anyway, there. And that's actually in the cricket ground itself. Huh? And that's in the actual cricket ground itself. No, it wasn't in the cricket ground. It was up at um, St George's Road. The cricket ground was across the other side. We we get come to that a little bit later. But, uh, so we we just went on route marches, and they did a bit of rifle draw and things like that. A bit of Morse code. And uh, we had to do uh, well. We didn't do it up. We do a bit four words a minute sort of thing. And we had to do eight eventually. Which wasn't, um, you know, it's still, for some of us, we didn't sort of like it very much. Yeah. And um, we just fiddled around, really, for, for until, I suppose, how they sorted everybody out, as far as I can make out, that, okay, we'll take two names beginning with A, and two or three with B, and all that sort of thing, so you know, a mixture. And... Uh, that was okay well one morning i said right you're off today get your kit because we got kit bags and whatever and um the buses will be leaving taking you to the station at such and such a time and you're going to paddington station right well where are we going oh you'll find out when you get there sort of thing and our lot uh, went to Aberystwyth in Wales on the coast. And that was the initial training wing, IDW, there. So we uh, eventually got there, sort of thing, and sorted ourselves out. And uh, that was how we more started our training. And then they, because during the time we were there, you, you, you're doing all sorts of things, don't you? You're doing 
a drill, a lot, lots of rifle drill and everything like that. He was doing marching at 140, 160 to the minute, which was fast. And uh, then they'd go, we'd do a bit of um, Morse code, we'd do gas. In fact, in everything, navigation uh, and the whole aircraft recognition, tons of that. It was because uh, um, Japan had only just come into the war, or, or there, or no, I don't think they were in Japan. Were they? Were they the start? No, no, no. Well, anyway, they all those, and because you've got the Italians, you've got all the different ones, the German, and and you got all the different aircraft. They were all hanging up on wires and. We had a big screen and things like that. And normally we'd probably do um, in the mornings. We'd first in the morning we'd have just a shirt and a pair of shorts on, and we'd be out on the promenade because it's right by the sea, and we'd we'd have a what half to three quarters of an hour of really exercises and things, real, you know, hard stuff. Yeah. Then we go in and have breakfast and have a shower and wash or whatever we want to do and then go to lectures and do things like that. And sort of navigation, quite a bit of it and things. And that I enjoyed, but it was so cold. I mean, you know, the waves and the, all the spray was coming over us. Uh, we did that, and uh, a lot, quite a lot of marching, and we went to the rifle range just just to have a pop round on that. And uh, well, then I think it must have been it was before Christmas. They said, right, we're we're, we're going to have a bit of a party, and then you finished here. So that's what we did, and we now you can go and leave. So I think we had about what ten days or two um, weeks, on, and uh, after that we we got a telegram to report to marshals flying ground or aerodrome in Cambridge, yeah, yeah, so we w went there, because all this they send telegrams and with your the train fares and all that sort of thing, uh, so we went there and uh, there were tiger moths, of course, then, uh, while we were there we had to be able to fly a tiger moth, that is take off and land and whatever. So we did that. Most of the fellas got through. It was quite funny with some of them where they come into land and bounced and up and throttle open it up. And, <laughs> and uh, that was uh, that. Was that your first time at an airplane? Yeah. Well, yeah, because the, the instructor, first of all, they take you up for 20 minutes just to show you what it's like and 
we were not far from Peterborough, where all the brick chimneys, where they make all the bricks. Chimneys, and he said, well, tell me, he said, right now, I want you to, because he said, I'll, I'll be flying it, and you just feel the thing. So we go up, and he said, now, right, you see that brick chimney? And it was quite a way off, he said, I want you to try and fly reasonably straight to that. He said, and then when we get there, we'll do a gentle little turn and come back. And, uh, okay, off we go, and there's me. Because uh, I've read a little bit about things like that. Felt it. And he said, have you... Are you, uh, have you got the shell? Yeah, some, I'm, I'm with it, sort of thing. So we go off and he's, now do a gentle turn, just watch your, your height, whatever, because as soon as you turn, you tend to drop the nose a bit. You come around, he said, now fly back to the drone. And uh, I did. And then we got out and uh, as we were walking back to the dispersal, he said, you've flown before. <laughs> I said, I've never been in an aeroplane before. I don't think you, you can believe me, you know. And uh, he said, I'm sure you've flown before. I said, I've bloody well been in a plane before. And uh, that's how it started off. And he was my instructor for the rest of the time I thought it was about seven, seven and a half hours and uh, we'd been different, different manoeuvres and gliding and all that sort of stuff and landing, it was a grass there you know. and we ran and he taxied up to the side and he said right he said I'm just going to get out for a minute so he gets out and he says, don't undo your parachute, keep it on. And he tapped the side, he said, you're taking it off on your own. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it was. And, it was, and I, I was real, you know, because I got the hang of it a bit. And I made a perfect landing with it. And, and that's all we did there. That was, that was the finish of that little course and after that uh, we went to Harrogate and we were there for two or three weeks and they then uh, the majority of us they sorted out to different flights and things like that and uh, didn't tell us where we were going or anything and uh, we suddenly went to um, oh, Manchester and I was under tents and it had been raining and bloody wet and horrible. So then along come a lot of coaches and uh, picked us all up. Still didn't know where we were going. Then they took us to a station and got on a train and we were there all night going through, you know, we thought, well, we wouldn't even know which way we were going, really. And in the morning, 
because we've got to get over to that ship and uh, there's, there's this bloody ship out in the middle of the thing and another great big ship beside it and they said because <coughs> we asked them they said oh we haven't been we haven't told you because we don't want any where it's going so anyway eventually we did we got on this was well, a barge or lighter or something or other took all the gear there and um, it was only a 6,000 tonne motor vessel and it was, it was called the Banfora. There's 1,500 of us got on this bloody ship. <laughs> and we sort of wallowed about and I thought, oh God, I, I hated the bloody movement. And uh, then we, in the afternoon, the other big ship, Rangatiki, which was quite a bit bigger, there's some German prisoners, and they went on that one. And, uh, and just before dark, we took off and started going up the, the river to go out there. And, uh, I didn't like it at all. I was, I was looking out watching the lighthouse on the side there and something you know, where are we going? So at the next morning we go out and uh, we'd gone, because it's quite a long way from Gerrit and Greenock to the coast and along. So we went from there <coughs> and uh, some of the guys said, yeah, do you know where we're going, don't you? No. We're going to Canada. Oh, uh, oh, just like that, you know, as if we'd gone next door. <laughs> and, uh, it, um, yeah, because then we went a bit further and we saw land. They said, that's Ireland. We were going up over the top of Ireland and went round into the Atlantic. Because there's a lot of U-boats about there too. And uh, this was okay. Well, about three or four days, oh, we got two little, I don't think they were destroyers, they might have been corvettes or something. That's all we got with us. And uh, after, I think it was four days, the Rangatiki, the engines broke down. So they were wallowing about. So we, we had to circle around for 24 hours on the, and the weather, I mean, you got 40 to 60 feet swell. And, and the ship we were on, because being fairly light, is on the swell, and the props would come out of the water, the whole thing would shudder, and it would go down, and as it went down, it would twist. It wouldn't go down straight, it would sort of go that way, and like that, and, and we were like that for bloody days. And oh, everyone on board was, was bad, even the, the sailors and all. And uh, it kept going. Well, when <coughs> the next day, we thought, oh, we'll join up with the Rangatiki again. No, we didn't. We went on our own. We hadn't got any 
destroys nothing with us. We just, and we were only doing about 10 knots, I suppose, something like that. I'm going to destroy, would almost, I'm not a destroyer, submarine would almost walk faster than we could. Yeah. So we did all that, and uh, I think it was 17 days later, we saw the coast of uh, Canada. And that was at Halifax, Nova Scotia. So we sailed up, up the river and saw all the great big silos that they've got for wheat and stuff all along there. Some of the ships were coming out from the harbour, bridges to go across. And we went there and we got, um, let's see, yeah, we, we got um, to, to the docks. And railway lines everywhere, I remember, heaps of them. And we had to cro walk over all these to get to where our train was. And it was there, and we got on this train, and we went to Moncton, which is Nova Scotia. And that's where we stayed for three weeks or more, I suppose. Because they seemed to gather a whole heap and then they sort them all out and say, well, you're going there, you're going there. Some stayed in Canada and whatever. And um, it, it was all right, I suppose, in a way. We met some nice people there. The people in Moncton, the Canadians were good. They really uh, looked after us and invited us to their house and... I know we used to go out and have supper with them and have a chat, especially some of the older ones that had already perhaps lived in England and that sort of thing. And um, so we, <coughs> that happened then, right, we're off now. <coughs> they didn't tell us where we were going then. Right, <coughs> we got the train, bloody great engines, those things, you know, two, two of these great big long things. And we got in this train and um, started off, went round the Great Lakes, Canada and wherever, and at a lot of the places where we stopped, because they had to refuel and do all sorts of things, people with big wicker baskets and things, all with, with chocolates and drinks and everything, and they'd come round and hand it to you. It was lovely. And then, uh, this happened about three or four times, I suppose. And we eventually, we got to Detroit. That's more or less where the, And we had to cross over there at Windsor, which, into America. So we're in the States. And uh, we got into the States. They changed the, changed the train, of course, and everything. So we were on... And the train we were got in then, was real smart, plush, lovely, you know, really good. And because the other one was a raggedy old thing. And uh, then we got chugging away again down through Cincinnati and winding way down through into um, into Georgia, Albany, Georgia. And we go down there and then stop there for a while and then off we go again um, to... Um, Oh no, we had. 
That was Albany where we finished. That's right, yeah. It was Atlanta, George. It was where we stopped for a while. And we got off there. And then coaches arrived. The Greyhound coaches. Those beautiful buddies. Pick us up <coughs> and take us to Turner Field, which was in Alabama. And uh, it was an acclimatisation course we were on now because we've been in a colder district now and where the temperature was there was equal to being in the equator that that sort of thing so they had us there for about three and a half weeks most of the time doing exercises and different things like that <coughs> and getting used used to the way oh and American uniforms of course all the, all the leather jackets and a beautiful cloth, not like the rough old stuff we had. <laughs> and uh, then, then we were divided off. Oh, that's right. We, when we when we got there, they said, "No, you've you've got to report to the master, um, whatever he was." And uh, each of us would got a little ticket thing, and we got this. Fella, well, one of the Americans, because they were nearly all then, they were nearly all West Pointers and and Yale and all that sort of stuff, you know, not know it all and that sort. And we had to go up to this fella and say uh, your name and to the master coordinator that. Uh, uh, and, yeah, and then, then give him this ticket and he wrote something on it, a number, right, that, that's where you're going. So we had different numbers to different billets and, and they were tents really, but they were solid, you know, with solid sheets on the side with windows that opened and all, with mesh to stop the insects. And uh, that was nice really it was different and the food was oh man fried chicken and any meat you wanted fish and uh, you know it was like it all the time we were there <laughs> it was great <coughs> and they put us into uh, the various um, squadrons and there was five of us to an instructor this was a civilian port aerodrome still and uh, they, we had five uh, five pupils to an instructor and he he trained trained the five of us so he was virtually flying all day every day but he'd go off I mean hour hour and a half or something like that and uh, okay that was on the old stearman okay. for a start which was a it was it was just a sand, patch of sand really, with uh, not grass, but something growing and it was holding it. Right? <coughs> and we first said was we better steer, and he said, "Okay, now I'll just deal with you all now and tell you what's going on." We did. He said, "Right now, I suppose when you flew, if you flew Tiger Moss or anything else, they got airspeed in, airspeed indicators." And things. We haven't got any 
of those, you, you, we haven't got any airspeeds. You do it by the seat of your pants. You actually feel that. <laughs> what? <laughs> and they were no blind flying instruments, really. It was just a. I think you got. There was no town and bank or, you know, anything, really. And, uh, and bloody hell. And, and they were much bigger than a tiger moth. Yeah, because that yellow one, I don't know if you've seen it fly around. Here it comes from Taronga, it's two or three over there. And uh, so we got in it and I, a clumsy old, seemed heavy. You know, Christ, have I got to fly one of these things? So it, it took me a bit longer to get used to it. I, I was on it by 10 or 11 hours altogether. And then you have a uh, one of the senior officers takes you up for a 20-hour, 40-hour and 60-hour thing. Give you to more grade you then through. And <coughs> when you've done that, you passed and Okay, you you move then. You you go on to um, oh God, I can never think of the name of the other plane. But it it had got it it had got um, well it got an airspeed indicator, a few other bits, and it had got a wheel uh, un retracting, undercut and everything. What? Was it a biplane? Biplane, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll have a look in a minute. So we did that, and that, that course, that was another six weeks. Each course was six weeks. And, of course, there was two courses. Like, after one month, we'd been there a month, another course came in. So we were the upper class, and they were the lower class, sort of thing, all the way through. And that that went on all the way through, and uh, yeah, it, it it was okay. And then we went to oh, where did we go? Macon, Georgia, uh, Alabama, Alabama, and we were on Harvard's then, and did the same amount of hours, around about sixty hours on on each other thing. And it was it was quite nice there, and because uh, it was the final uh, one, people and lots of people used to come on the drone, well not on, but pick us up, and you know you got Hudson terraplanes and Buicks and everything up and drive there, and would you like to come to so and so? We get and they whip us off, don't we? Which was really nice. And the food was fantastic, you know. It was, I mean, if you could, you could live off fried chicken and things like that, it was really good. Were there also American courses going through? Oh yes, yeah, that's, yes, that's same, yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it was most most of them I met were either West Point or Yale universities, and quite sort of because America hadn't been long in the war and uh, they got to build up called an air force which they did of course and and no it was good and a lot of them were good but some of the 
um, university boys were a bit sort of, oh, you don't want to associate with them, sort of thing, yeah. yeah. Well, what do you find most impressive about America, about, you know, Atlanta or Macon, um, when you went off the, st off the station and went yeah. did some recreation? What, what, what were the things that stand out in your memory of places you went to? Oh, well, as re recreational, yeah. yeah. Or just sightseeing or? Uh, we didn't do much sightseeing. We we used to go into the town sometimes, and like um, yeah, especially if people came and took us, because we, I mean, it's only the other thing was we hadn't got cars or anything out there, and you either got a taxi or something, which were a bit on the steep side. But we we did once or twice go out. We were supposed to be in by ten o'clock at night. So four of us one night we went out into the town and we were late to get back and all the like the, the bill, billets and everything and the, the block was different to the aerodrome that was over the other side and they got a great big wire mesh fence all the way around and there's guards at the gates with with forty fives. And uh, one night we thought, oh, we know where there's a little gap we can get in. And somebody made a bit of a rustling noise like that. And all of a sudden, you boom, 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 and oh, bloody firing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a bit like that today, you know. And uh, so we did that. And uh, then after we'd finished, we went to uh, Florida on a gunnery course, very short one really, Eglin Field, uh, that's where the Navy uh, Fleet Air Arm were trained. And uh, we went there and did a course, uh, well sort of a course, we fired the guns anyway, and that's about it, just to know who they were. And that's in the, in the T-6 Texans? Was that in the Texans too, the Harvards? Yeah, yeah, in Harvard. And uh, <coughs> so we we did that, and then we came back, and we came back in the morning, and the afternoon, we all had to go into the chapel and get our wings and American wings, of course, yep. silver wings. I mean, there were none of these other things at all, and the the uh, candle dallions. Oh, I've got it somewhere. That's not up there. Um, and, and he'd uh, give us our wings and whatever. And uh, then there's a train. It was on the 13th of December, 42. And there's a train and it had all our kit in ready. And at one o'clock, exactly one o'clock, that train took off to go back to Canada. So we got about three and a half days of train back to Canada. And when we got back, they were sorting people out um, to go back on ship. They, they're not, because we came 1,500 at a time in the ship, right? Now that we trained, you couldn't go on those 1,500 pilots. So there'd be a dozen would go back in one ship and then another ship, things like that. 
and uh, <coughs> but they they didn't at the time say all right such and such a ship and one of us said well go down to the docks and see if you can find a ship or something <laughs> and uh, that's what we did and uh, that that was over Christmas because we had all wings on and Christmas day they uh, this was in Canada still they gave us a Christmas dinner fried eggs and bacon Yeah, so uh, yeah, then we, we got on the uh, this plane, on this ship eventually, the Andes, which was a real posh ship, yeah. like 25,000 tonnes. And uh, one of the really elite White Star liners from early on. And uh, <coughs> we just go up the river out into the Atlantic, and he just puts his foot down and Six days later, we're in Southampton, just like that, you know. And then, <coughs> and then it's a long, drawn-out wait for different things. Cause we we then had to go uh, when we came from America back. Now we had to get used to our own instruments again and aircraft and everything like that. And the temperature, I suppose, too. But and the temperature as well. You know. and, oh yeah. Yeah. Quite yeah. Well. yeah. So we went, to, I think it was Masters that we, we were on for a while. That was at um, Oh, bloody hell. King. Somewhere up north, anyway. And the weather wasn't very good. I mean, in the States, if you want to do cross-country, 60 miles away, you can see where you're going, you know. And even a night flying, because we used to do quite a bit of night flying with the Harvards, and all the big towns on the roof of the, of the big sheds and things with the name of the town on. And so you could see, and they had a revolving light with you. So you know, if it was A, B, C, or D, or whatever. And, um, We'd go around, and, but it was okay. But uh, once or twice, when I, because you go on your own, was flying, I ran into cloud. Well, after, I mean, you didn't bother about instruments at all, really, because you won't need them. But you suddenly get in this dense, bloody fog sort of stuff, and, and you're lost virtually, so you've got to immediately look at that, and you. I mean, as soon as you look at it, you think, oh, bloody hell, I'm turning that way or that way, you know. So we had to watch that like anything. And one night, there was quite a bit of it, and I think there were seven of us, and s six of them landed at different places, and a couple of them crashed, and nothing like that. But uh, that, those little things used to happen, I suppose. I guess that's one advantage that the people who trained in Britain had, because they would have trained on instruments all the way through. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah you guys yeah. would sort of be behind the game a bit compared yeah. to the others. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted in the states, if you wanted to go anywhere, you could almost see it 50, 60 miles away. Yeah. Over there, you might not see it 500 yards away, almost. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 
So it was very difficult. And uh, what did you think of the master to fly? Uh, we had masters ones and masters two or threes, I think. Yeah, they were okay. They were different from the Harvard a bit. We still got used to them. Really, we didn't do much flying in them. Just to get used to them a bit. And then after that, we went down to Hibblestow, which is near St Athens in Wales. I don't know if you know the area or not. Yeah. yeah. And um, that was on Spit 1s and Spit 2s, the old Battle of Britain ones that were ready to throw away something. That's where I first flew a Spit, and that was on... I think it ran about before my birthday anyway, and I thought, I, I was nearly in tears when I taxied out to take off. I think, oh, wait, because, I mean, that was a dream all the way through. I'm going to fly a Spitfire. And, oh, I'm so bloody excited, you know. He's a throttle forward, and before you knew what was happening, you were up in the air. <laughs> it's terrific. I think that was a, a, a real thrill. That, that was just wonderful, and and they are they are a lovely plane to fly. Anyway, so, uh, that was okay. So we were at Hibblestow, um, fifty-three OTU. We went. They closed that down, and <coughs> we went up to. Um, Oh, somewhere in Lincolnshire. I did the rest of the course up there. Then okay. back. And uh, went home. Stayed there for five or six weeks. I was like, you know, oh, I'm getting paid. <laughs> Down the pub every night. After the girls. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah. Eventually got called a telegram again said report to six ten squadron bolt head and do you think I knew where that was? No. I asked everybody, where the hell's bolt head? That's an aerodrome. And eventually some guy said, Oh that's down in Devon Yeah. It was right on the coast. A little landing strip and that was with 610 squadron and uh, there were quite uh, some very notable fellows there and because uh, I go in f straight from training you know want to salute everybody and they oh you don't know any of that now he said forget all that bloody stuff and <laughs> 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 uh, and the CO he, he, I forget who that was, uh, Alan somebody. Uh, so they said, oh, go and see the CEO, he's over in that other block. So I go over there, salute to him and all that, and stand in attention. For Christ's sake, he said, you know, easy, he said. You're, you know, this is not bloody training. <laughs> and uh, now, he said, you can... We, we've got different things for the pilots each week. 
you use you have two cart or tins, big tins of orange juice, which comes from America. Um, you have two bar blocks of chocolate, and what were the other things? Oh, cigarettes, you, or, and eggs, hen's eggs, and they were fresh hen eggs. So you have a half a dozen of those for the week. He said, no, you, each week you come here and you collect things like that. Oh, well, this is good. And uh, I, I think for the first week or two, I met the, a lot of the different pilots. They were bloody DFC and bars, and, you know, because they'd all been in the Battle of Britain and everything like that. And uh, I thought, blimey. And I know, as I went in there, they were sitting lounging round in chairs and things, and they were all, nearly all got, because it was a, an auxiliary squadron, they'd all got very smart, fine cloth uniform, different to an ordinary one, and all the linings were, were red, silk inside. And uh, they were all nice fellas, actually. So they got talking to me and gave me the, he said, oh, you better read through the squadron book. I said, what you doing? I did that. And they got the old gramophone on the table. You know, you wind it up to get going. Just wind it up, will you? <laughs> There's generally the drums or something. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> and uh, that was that. He said, now, we can't spare any planes at the moment for you to practice on. So um, the Tiger Moss there, you can go fly that around just to see where you are and whatever, that thing. So it must have been even two weeks or more, I suppose. And I was getting a bit edgy on it, but you know. Once he said, right, now um, you can fly tomorrow. Paddy will show you what to do, so he did, and uh, you know, got on the plane, taxied out, and I thought, oh, where's the runway? Well, I wanted a runway. It was grass, but it got the metal mesh, you know, underneath, it was reinforced, reinforced. Yeah. yeah. So he said, well, be careful, because you've only really got about six or seven hundred yards of runway, keep belly well near the end, something which I did. I took off and flew around. I went down to Exeter and one or two places. And about an hour later, I come back in and land. And oh, taxes back to dispersal. And uh, when I got back in the dispersal, the uh, Winko, not the Winko, the uh, flight commander. He said, we were watching you come in and land, you know. Well, oh, yeah, you made a bloody good land. <laughs> Which, uh, of course, then, from then on, it was down quite a bit of training. It still was a spit. And, and various battle manoeuvres and, you know, the finger four stuff and all that. And uh, he... So, my first actual flight in, uh, over, over 
to France was they were because down from Cherbourg and all along there, that was all around that area. There were a lot of escapees and things. They'd get ships and go in the, the um, motor torpedo boats and things. They'd go and lay off the coast and then row one or two of them to the ship. And then they had, and it was, they could pick them up before it was light in the morning, of course, but they couldn't get very far before it started to get light, so they wanted cover. So so we'd gone do cover for them. And that's, how I, that's my first flight is on that. So what sort of, uh, what Marcus Spitfire were you flying at this stage? Fives. Fives, okay. Yeah. They are cropped ones. Yep. Clipped, cropped and clapped, yeah. And, uh, but we used to fly over because we didn't, we didn't fly very high, because we didn't want Jerry to pick us up. And think aircraft coming in, so we we do fly oh probably forty or fifty feet above the waves, and we we always had a jet jettison tank on. It was the little thirty gallon gallon ones, which were the first ones. So they, we always had one of those when we were over because we got. You know, 110, 120 miles of bloody sea to get over every time where we were down there. In fact, we flew over more water than land on it. So um, that was okay. Uh, when you got used to it, it was just formality sort of thing. Yeah. And then, of course, we did a lot of air sea rescue down there because the, the forts and everything they used to ditch in the channel and. It, if you ditched in the channel, you'd got about 15 minutes to live. It was what well, I used to call it the shit creek because all the muck from London and all down in France as well along the coast was all muck, and they, you know, 15 minutes in that. And I'd never even considered that before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, even the, even the Germans during the Battle of Britain, they were dead scared of going in that water. I said, you, you, we wouldn't live. It was poison. So, um, yeah, we used to do that. I mean, it was okay because we'd fly a lot lower sometimes. I mean, we might be 10 foot off the water. And occasionally somebody would hit the water with a prop. But as we got the de Havilland props on, which were metal ones, it might just bend the tip of them. But uh, it was a wooden one, I just split it. That was okay. Well, then we started doing um, trips, um, looking for cherries sort of thing and, and various um, motor transport, all that sort of stuff, and anything really that caught our attention. <laughs> Try it. Well, yeah, similar, yeah, but a lot was armed wreckies, um, armed reconnaissance. And sometimes, mostly it would be perhaps six to twelve aircraft and uh, be flying. And you had to be very careful because Jerry was very crafty. 
and they'd be up in the sun somewhere and you'd be fairly low down looking around and wondering where the hell you were because you you couldn't map read virtually because you were too low to just pick things out. So we, we got so we knew where every church or every flat tower was and aerodrome was and everything. So it was like flying around sort of anywhere virtually. We did that and and, uh, and uh, we did uh, quite a lot of rhubarbs. Uh, well, you know what they are, they? Uh, but it had to be the right weather for those. And occasionally you'd run into <coughs> the uh, yellow-nosed ones, the Abville boys, which were a hot lot there. And uh, most of the time they'd perhaps, if we were flying around, we had to be very careful <coughs> watching whether if they were above us or anything. Once or twice they bounced us. But after you, he was brilliant eyesight. I've got, I've got good eyesight as well. And uh, suddenly we realised they were really in 1,200 yards or something like that. He, <coughs> he'd watch it and he said, OK, boys, break left or break right or something or other. Because with a spit you could just turn so sharp and you could you could virtually fly them back at them before they could do anything. So that was okay. Uh, <coughs> then uh, we get sort of various well flak that used to be a bloody nuisance because we were low a lot of the time and twenty mil stuff was quite good. Uh, but. Uh, Oh yeah, that, that that sort of how it went, I suppose. Brages get hit now and again, especially attacking ships. Because <coughs> being where we were down in Devon, that sort of round by Brest Harbour, I don't know if you know that area, and uh, there'd be a lot of these fast ships that were coming in following the coast of France, you know, with valuable metals and different things like that. And we'd go around and fly along the coast looking for them. And they'd always be trying to fire at us off the coast. And things. We actually saw quite a lot of those t gun things being built. Look <coughs> ready for the invasion, sort of. And, uh, yeah, they'd hammer at us sometimes. And one day there was a, oh, I suppose, it must have been four, like, 88 mil ones. And I was going along quite comfortable, no, not much further away than that bloody tower. And all of a sudden, poof, look like that. And I thought, they're bloody firing at me. <laughs> this is really war. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <coughs> But there's little incidents like that all the while, really. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it, really. And uh, we'd, we'd always look for trains, railway engines, and whatever. We used to hammer into them sometimes. So, dirty that cloud of smoke come up. 
And yeah, one one day, this is after the invasion. It was a filthy day. There wasn't an aircraft, not one aircraft in Second TAF or Second Tactical Air Force that took off that day. And the Germans were the same. They, there was no flying, so it was getting almost not dark but dusk. And the CEO said to me, <coughs> "Do you think you could?" fly for a while. So I'd like to just go and say that, you know, we've actually flown today. Yeah, well, get three other guys and uh, go and see what you can find. So we did and we took off and it was horrible flying then. You know, about a thousand feet you were in cloud and we went along, and this was in Holland, round the back of Holland. And we found, I think it was four or five trains, engines, because they knew there was nothing going that day. And there we were, we belted the buggers. Yeah, and we got some transports as well. And uh, when, I, when I got back, it was just about dark. We landed, and, and the, the uh, Winko, he had his caravan there. And he said to me, so get get Fimbo here, will you? And I wonder what he wants. So I go in. He pours me a whiskey first thing. Have a whiskey, have a drink. <laughs> what? And he said he said, We just had congratulations from group. You you're the only aircraft that have actually flown today in the whole of the um, Second Tactical Air Force. Uh, so they, they were quite pleased about that. But uh, our little, little things are going to happen, I suppose. And of course we covered the Arnhem drop. We used to fly from Lim in Kent, right over to Holland and whatever. And, uh, Oh, that was bloody murder there, God. There was... Because when the... I watched the paratroops dropping and the gliders coming down and everywhere you could see were Germans with bloody machine guns and rifles cutting them out of the air. I think more than three quarters of them must have been killed while they hit the ground, you know. Which was very good. That was a shambles, you know. And we went over and then did some supply drops. We Dakotas went over and and dropped bloody great cylinders and stuff. And most of it got dropped in German. So, but we we were flying over there. We could only last half an hour. We, we couldn't stay any longer. That's with a 90-gallon jettison tank. I'll do that. And then Colin Gray, you know Colin. He was no Winko for a while, and he's a nice guy. He used to play darts with Carmen. Yeah, and uh, he wouldn't play anyway. I was a good dart player, and he wanted to beat his, his Winko. <laughs> he's a CEO. So we used to go there, and we went. Uh, there was twelve of us, and we were doing, or oh, maybe going inland to Germany quite a way, but we didn't know 
there was a hundred mile an hour tailwind and he couldn't um, he didn't know exactly where we were and he, when we got so far he suddenly saw a town or something that he thought he recognised and he realised we were bloody hundreds of miles further into Germany we hadn't got any enough fuel to get back to the UK and uh, we got as far as um, Antwerp and the Aussies had just arrived there and there were some Mustangs that they were flying on the aerodrome there so we said, oh well, he said, we, we've got to go in, he said, because we, we'll never get back so we go down and, and land and uh, got in this uh, three-ton truck down into the town we just go around the corner and a bloody 88 millimeter shell lands on the house at the side covers the bloody truck in wires and everything and <laughs> you know and I, oh well, don't like this <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then we darted into a like a shelter and then we thought oh we've got to find somewhere for the night to, to sleep so we went into it, looked around, found a, a nice restaurant which was in the centre and that because Jerry was still in the dock area over, over that side and there's a scruffy looking buggers we you know the scarf round your neck and flying boats and and everything sort of done. and all these people they, they were looked real posh lot and they were, as we went in they all sort of looked, what the heck doing in here? <laughs> anyway, we stayed the night there. We didn't buy anything for it, <coughs> and because uh, we had a, a um, you know ex escape stuff with us, we got money and in various things and whatever. And in the morning, Colin said to us, he said, "We're not going to go home." Well, we must take something back. Um, so we opened escape kits and we bought everything we could find. Um, there was perfume and stuff that you couldn't get in England, you know, sort of, and uh, different things like that. We bought that, spent just a bit, a lot. And when we back, got back to England, the uh, um, Air Commodore said to him, he said, how did you get on? He said, okay. He said, well, he brought some things back, didn't he? Said, yeah. Well, we want the money for that, he said. You, you spent an escape here, but you, we want you to pay. And Colin said, like fun we are, we, we're not. He said, if you go over there and get bloody shot at like we do, he said, you wouldn't say that. Anyway, we got away with it in the end. Yeah. And... Uh, that, that was good. But little things like that. I'd be flying with Colin another day, and uh, there were six of us. And we went over a great big wood, you know, and flying fairly high. I was, well, say fairly high, about 10 or 12,000 feet. And coming back, <coughs> and for some reason, a glint of something caught my eye in this wood and without thinking I used a 
down or go, you know, have a go at them. And <laughs> I didn't realize at the time that there must have been an armored division or something in there. And <coughs> when I got back, they waited circling for us. I came back and he said, Do you realize you're trying to kill your bloody self? I said, No. I said, You're flack happy because where you went round that wood, there's a bloody great circle of flack. <laughs> it bursts all the way round. He said, Can you walk on it nearly? And I didn't get hit at all. Well, uh, 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 <laughs> really, um, we, we didn't really come across many German aircraft. Very few. Except one or two on the ground, you'd perhaps have a poop at. But I've never actually shot one down because I never actually saw one to shoot down. Because <coughs> I, I was a pretty good shot. And when we used to go on the um, training, you, you know, we'd go for a, a week or so on uh, um, firing at drogues and things. And uh, I'm, uh, well, it was. Three squadrons went there. It was near Can uh, near Swansea, and I was the only one that got above average for drogue shooting. Yeah. And the, the actual instructor that was d taking it all, he uh, he said, "How do you manage to hit so many?" I said, well, it's just natural, because when I was younger in the country, we always had shotguns. I, mean, I had well, a shotgun, it, was a, it wasn't a ten, uh, 12 war like and all. It was slightly smaller, a 10 war or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to be quite good at shooting. I know, because we used to have, on the drone, we'd have a, a skeet thing. There'd always be someone there, and they had because cartridges, we could get as many boxes as we wanted. And I always go, used to go over there, and a lot of the fellas, they couldn't hit a bloody barn, really. And I'd teach them how to shoot, because I was so used to it, you know. Because we only had, they'd only throw one up at a time, but I'd... If I split one, I'd have the other bit before it went down, yeah. Wow. <laughs> it, it was. It, yeah, I was quite proud of my, my shooting. And Colin was good at that too, wasn't he? he yeah, was oh, yes, good. yes, yeah, yeah. And he wasn't a bad dart player either. Yeah, because at lunchtime, because we'd always go in and have our lunch and then in the mess, half a, half a pint of beer or something. Never more, that's always half. And uh, he'd say, right, come on, Fimbo, you're my partner, you know, because our CO or my CO and the flight commander, they'd pair up together and him and I would play together and we very rarely lost, you know, because sometimes, you know, we'd play cricket, yeah. you know, and very often I'd, two darts, I'd get two fifties. And... Come on, he said, you can't bloody play like that. <laughs> Dickie Newbury, our Winko, uh, no, our CO, 
he was a rugby player at Newport, a real top man, many okay. years ago. He was a big, strong bugger, because I didn't sometimes was a bit careful with him, because you know, at night in the mess you have a few drinks and you have a rugby, game a rugby or something, bloody chairs and definitely things be flying all over the place. And he was this strong bugger, and I you know, really used to hurt. <laughs> I was going to ask you that about the, whether you had all the mess games and... Oh yeah, 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 the, um, our, our doc, he, he was quite a lad, because we were in, in Nissen huts and they got framework and a bar right up high across there and he, I don't know how he used to do it, but he'd, he'd jump up and climb up and he'd pull himself up and then he'd hang by his feet, he'd, he'd put his feet and, and hanging down, now you get somebody to bring a pint of beer to drink upside down. And, and he was bloody marvellous at things like that. <laughs> and then another bugger would, you, you, you get some black something or other, and they'd walk across the ceiling, because they'd hold it and go across. Yeah, yeah that's quite a tradition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, things like that. I mean, it was, well, you got to sort of let off somehow, hadn't you, really? Did you have all the bawdy songs as well? Uh, the what? The bawdy songs or the... Or the oh, oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and the girls used to join in as well. <laughs> 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 they really did. Oh, those, some of them were really... Bloody hell. And then somebody would get up and recite Eskimo Nell or something like that, you know. <laughs> Dead Eye Dick and Mexican Pete. <laughs> Yeah, they were all, they were all, I said, you'd got to do that though, hadn't you? I mean, you know. No. Uh, so. no I'm, in fact, at the moment, I'm reading uh, Ron Mayhill's book, uh, Bombs on Target. He was in 75 Squadron. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, um, on se in 75? 75, yeah. Oh, that's a bomber yeah, one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But he talks about, in the book, he talks about the mess parties and, and he lists a number of the songs which they used to sing. Yeah, oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I went on to the internet and looked some of them up to see if I could find the lyrics. Well, I actually found people singing some of them, like they've, they've yeah. got the songs and they've yeah, recorded yeah, the song. Yeah. And, and it blew me away about how disgustingly rude they were. And you, <laughs> you know, when I was in the Air Force, you never heard that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, yeah oh, it, was, it was good. Mm. Yeah, it was just like it all the while. And I, and I bet you, if you made a, f a movie and you put that in there, all the old people were writing and say, this is disgusting. Oh, oh it was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, one pub we used to go in, not far from Tangmere, and they got a big tank with fish in, uh, a lot of little ones and bigger ones. Yeah. And we had one guy that always had it put his mug beside it like that, and he'd be after pulling a fish out and just swallowing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just put me in my spot. Did Six One Zero Squadron have any particular traditions of its own that were just that squadron's thing, or like its own squadron song, or maybe a? Well, well, they did, yeah, but I, I don't know, I can't remember what it was. It was, we are, the, we are the Six Ten Squadron, with something or other of the band and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But. Uh, 
I can't, it was an Irish guy that was with us, Mac Fetridge. He, he used to sing those quite well. Did you have any mascots or um, pets on the squadron or anything like that? Oh, we had a dog. Yeah, we, we had a white Samoyed. Oh, right. Yeah. Snowy. I've got a photo of it, Oh, oh there he is, yeah, in the center. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Snowy. Of course, after the war, the wife and I, we had two of them. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. beautiful dogs. Yeah. We've got one that lives next door to us. Have, have you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and what about, uh, did you ever put any nose art on your aircraft or any sort of personal name on your we aircraft? We weren't allowed to do that. Right. Uh, I mean, I mean, a lot of the others used to, and of course you got the uh, Spitfire, that people during the war, um, the towns and different things yeah. would pay so much at 5000 Fit, which actually cost twelve thousand, but they and and they were on, especially the foreign ones. And New Zealand had quite a lot, yeah, they did, yeah. uh, like that. In fact, I've got the whole list. Yeah, mm. in in, in, um, uh, in one of those, what's it called? Uh, Four eight five squadron. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's all in in the book. Yep. Have you got the book? I think I have, yeah. I've got, I've got the, four, the older 4 at 5 Squadron book I've got at home, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've got it. And, uh, and it's got a list of all the different... Yeah, and when they first got those aircraft that were subscribed by the different... Uh, the, those original ones in that squadron were by county. And so, uh, yeah, so yeah. they tried to find pilots from those counties to fly them. That's and, right. And yeah. the one from Waikato was flown by Bill Wells, who was from Cambridge. Uh, that's right, yeah, that's right, yeah. Hawkeye. Hawkeye Wells, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Did you ever meet him? No. No. No, I never met him. But uh, he, he was brilliant. His eye, you know, he was, he was Hawkeye. He, he, he could see further than anybody else. Exactly. Or quicker. Yeah. He's, yeah, he was in the Battle of Britain, wasn't he? He was, yep. Yeah. Were there any other Kiwis in your squadron when you were there, apart from Colin? Yes. Um, two. I had the names of them here as well. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, uh, he was Kiwi. He got killed. And his name is... Next to the... Uh, so that's, that's Colin, so it must be... Is it Madden? That's it, yeah. Madden, okay. Yeah. Yeah, he, he uh, got killed. Uh, he got killed. He was a. Um, Bahamas, he was from. Oh, right. He got killed. That's Colin Gray. Um, no, that's Colin there, isn't it? That's Colin, that's yeah. Tony Gaze. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, uh, up there in there. Yep. Uh, He's an Irishman, he's a, a Canadian, he's a Canadian. They were mixed all the way through, really. Yeah. yeah. So it was quite, uh, yes, most of these got killed during wow. the latter part of the war. Because when we, when they had the, um, 
when Jerry broke through in the Ardennes, yeah. he was, um, we were told that I don't mind loading an aircraft for every German you stop. That was bloody Broadhurst. Wow. That, and we said, oh, get stuffed, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <coughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that one at the end is the... Well, that's when you're in Wales. Aris, one, yeah. I'm a real little schoolboy there. <laughs> <laughs> One left hand. Oh, that yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're very young. That's the uh, United States Army Air Force um, diploma for becoming a pilot okay. in the States. So, is that because it was a civilian school? Does that mean you're a civilian pilot there as well or no not no, no, no they've changed they changed it during right. the early part of the war but we we were each i mean in in the states when you become an air a pilot you're automatically a second lieutenant okay. they, they don't have uh, sergeants or right. whatever they're all right. all officers right so um we hold as Sort of as a second lieutenant, I, I mean, you call me a second lieutenant as far as the air force was concerned. Okay. On that one. <coughs> so the Americans would call you a second lieutenant, but the RAF would still call you a sergeant. Oh yeah, they were. Yeah, we were sergeants. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You didn't get the second lieutenant pay then when you're in America. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. No. And <coughs> no. <coughs> when you. So did you go from the Mark 5s straight to the Mark 14s? Yes. That's a bit of a step up, isn't it? Yes. Is it, there's no nines in between? Or no. Wow. <laughs> that must have been a bit of a thrill to go to... Oh, it was, it was wonderful. But to take, you know, to first to take off, it, it was dodgy because you'd never been used to having a left hand or right hand. And uh, the, the plane, because you, you're not supposed to... Well, we didn't know this at the time, but you're not supposed to ram the throttle right forward because uh, it would slew round. And with five blades, the the aeroplane, the blades are trying to turn the aeroplane round, you with see. With yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <coughs> no, that was, that was only once, the first time I took it off, it slewed across. And uh, so I got used to it. And I, I could fly them anyway. But I, I did about oh, three hundred and some odd hours on fourteens. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely aircraft. Yeah. <coughs> so um, with six one zero squadron, six ten squadron. Yeah. Uh, did you have a local pub that you used to always go to, or? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, well, it depended where it was because we weren't really anywhere. For that length of time, you know, we were on the move all the while, really. Okay. But, um, there's one or two of them that we did near Exeter um, that have got all our ties, our black ties, they cut them off there oh, yeah. and pinned it up with your name on. And I might even be in the pub today. Wow, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. What was that pub called? 
I thought of it the other day. Um, Bit of a tea, top, top mat. Uh, uh, I'll have a look at them, that. <coughs> but it was definitely the one. Yeah. <coughs> I've seen one or two others as well with the um, table cross that got all the signatures of various pilots. Right, right. In fact, <coughs> there's a few in England where they've either signed the wall or the signature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know in, um, in Christchurch even, uh, there's a pub next, just down the road from Wigram, yeah, yeah. where the, they put up some big sheets of paper and everyone signed them. Uh, and they, they, that ended up, that's in the Air Force Museum now. And, yes, yeah. Uh, they've got a, they have, those are in storage, in, you know, humidity, control storage, yeah, yeah. but they've got copies that you uh, can see. Yeah, yeah. And, the signatures yep. there is practically almost every famous guy from the RNZF has signed that. Yeah, yeah, I think I've, I've seen it there. Mm. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, because when I was down there once, it must be some time ago now. I went there, and uh, oh, the wife and I, we we were down there for seven weeks. Oh right. Took the old Holden down there and uh, did, did just about all of the uh, South Island. Good. No, there's certain things that come back now and again, and I can't think of yeah. uh, all of it. Did, did you um, you got onto the squadron at what was about mid 1943, was it? Yes. Yeah. And did you continually then stay on the squadron? Yeah, right until right until the. War finished. Uh, no breaks in terms no. of no going to have been an instructor or anything. No. no. That's, quite, that's quite impressive. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, that's a long time uh, to be yeah, operational. Yeah, a lot of them went instructing and whatever. <coughs> but normally <coughs> it was 180 hours ops. And I did about, I think, 264. <coughs> so it was quite a yeah, jump more. That's a lot, yeah. Of course, then after the war, we um, came back to the UK and I <coughs> went with uh, 130 Squadron because they was on 14s and whatever. Yep. They'd been flying more or less together all the while. And uh, we went over to Norway because Jerry was still wandering about in Norway. And a lot of the army had collected a lot and they put them on one of the uh, aerodromes and whatever. And if you're, if you're a naughty boy or anything, you'll get clobbered. Because we'd go down and shoot them, you know, just say, right, you can't do this. So, and this is, this is after the... After the war, wow. yeah. So it was over there <coughs> for a while. Not for long, but uh, and, uh, long enough to be in trouble. I, uh, we we got the, in one day, quite a lot of the Norwegians there, and we invited them to the drone. They had a little party sort of thing. And then we <coughs> all will do a bit of aerobatics, uh, to, you know, just to show them what goes on. <coughs> and we did. And after we'd finished, 
Nobody told me I couldn't do it, I shouldn't have done. I stayed up there and started doing aerobatics. And, I, <coughs> and then I tip, went along the runway, tipped it upside down, and I flew the length of the runway upside down. This was in a nine. And uh, when I brightened the thing up, the engine just cut out dead. Because with the fuel that had been used in it, the airlock between the top tank and the bottom tank, and there was no way it was going to start. So I did a horrible bloody crash, and of course it was on a, the the aerodrome was on like, um, a, a, on a, what, on a cliff sort of thing, you, you were up about 200 feet. And, I don't know why could I get back on that drone, but I nearly made it, and I, and I, I came to well, probably whew, 40 or 50 feet, I suppose, and I said, look at this bloody, I'm going to hit that bloody thing straight, and I just pulled the stick back and stalled it, and it just came down more or less flat. And <coughs> And I, I mean, it knocked me out, and a little bit of a bump on my head and things like that. But I was in hospital for six days, and was okay. Did you get in trouble for it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the consequences of that? I, I got away with it. Yeah, right. I got away with it. Yeah. yeah, I had the wing commander and another group captain and somebody else, and they. Um, came to the hospital, you know, and uh, then the uh, air commodore actually came down because there was somebody got hurt, yeah. and he said, "Right, I'll just see what what happened. I'll take one up." So he took one up to about fifteen thousand feet, and he flew around upside down, and the engine cut out as well. And he had a hell of a job to start it before he got to ground, ground level. Of course, that was okay, and I was free. Right. And uh, it, what happened, there should be a modification on I never have had one on. So when it turned upside down, and you got half a lot of fuel, it was blocked, in, you know, airlocked in between. Right, right. So no way would it go. <coughs> so uh, I, I got away with that. It's lucky that he was conscientious enough to go and check your story. Oh, oh yes, uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he was <laughs> afterwards, I didn't tell. Well, somebody told me he said he was bloody scared. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was at fifteen thousand feet, you know, and he's he used to bloody pump the fuel in and everything and tried this and that, nothing happened, and he was nearly down. I think it was about a thousand, oh, just under a thousand feet to when it actually started. Was that the <coughs> scariest moment that you had, or was there any other crashes? Or um, yeah, well, well, I got shot down. I could, yeah. Oh, now tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was near Munster in Germany. We used to do a lot of after trains and transports and everything like that. <clears throat> and there was a big railway yard, Munster, 
and I saw a couple of engines and I just went straight in that one up them and I just pulled up like that and I saw a bloody tracer a, a red and a green tracer it fairly slow but it wasn't I mean it's gone like a clapper and it hit under the engine right into the sump and everything there and blew and the bloody oil came all over the place there's me about <coughs> 20 odd miles into Germany in, in their side of it and uh, I uh, thought well there's only one thing to do I've got to if it'll, see if it will keep going I mean it's just hardly bloody sea for oil and uh, I'll head 270 degrees which was west to, to get on our side of the line well I nearly got on our side of the line and the bloody engine just conked out and it was going to fly on fire any minute. It was bloody, you know, everything. <coughs> and I saw a little field. It, 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 it was one very big and there was a house on it. And it looked fairly plain underneath there. And I thought, I'll go in there, something. So I, I couldn't jump out of it because the Jerry's were underneath, you see, because it was all in German and I thought, sure as hell they'll shoot me if I do. So I <coughs> crashed on this thing and there was a few bullets flying around and I was there for, well, not very long. I was, I was sort of probably a matter of two or three minutes and a sixth airborne sergeant came crawling around beside me and said, for Christ's sake, Get out of that bloody plane, he said, the Jerry's are just behind that hedge. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> nasty. <laughs> so, and the, uh, funnily enough, where I landed, the Sixth Airborne had just crossed the river, and they just made a little bridgehead there. Well, there's bloody Jerry tanks and everything around, you know, and guns. And, uh, so they, they, he, I followed him, and he said, "For Christ's sake, keep your ass down." And there was a bit of a furrow, you know, well, just a little bit had been from here to the, the hospital, I suppose. There, yeah. and he said, "For goodness' sake, keep down." So we did, and we went. And then he got into a ditch, and we went down through a ditch and through some trees, and just past that, there was like a little wood. And they'd got a field dressing station set up there. And he took me in there and first thing of course army do, cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was quite uh, uh, sort of exciting at the moment, but I didn't know I'd been hit in the side. And it was all sticky with blood and everything. So he said, right, we better take you to the dock because they got the station where they were pumping different things into people at the time <coughs> and so I had he, he gave me a shot and I just passed out then they put me in a in a uh, three-ton truck with a lot of blankets that were carted somewhere else put me in there and I ate oh I didn't have bloody ache again and uh, he <coughs> 
this, this truck kept on and on and on and of course it was near the um, Badafelt, uh, you know, the, the big bridge that they were bombing. Yeah. It was near that and all round, of course, where the shells had landed, there was nowhere for the trucks to go. They just put Summerfield tracking over the ditches and they were just going through and across fields because there was no roads, they were all bust up. Yep. <coughs> I passed out again and the next thing I knew, it was dark and uh, I was on a stretcher and I was on a, a floor with all straw on it and it was in a, in a barn on a two-story and there's lots of noise going on, moans and cries of pain and everything and it was in this bloody place and it stunk and it, most of the people in there, they were all Germans and French and whatever, <coughs> they'd been badly burnt in tanks and, it, and the smell of burnt flesh was horrible. So then I, I stayed there until the middle afternoon and, and my estate kit, somebody had whipped that, my watch had gone. Oh. <laughs> bloody army. <laughs> yeah, yeah, typical bloody army, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, they came and, because I was on a stretcher, and they came and took me down the stairs and I said, well, where am I going? Well, we're going to take you to an aerodrome and then we're going to fly you to Brussels. So that's what they did. And they flew me to Brussels and that's where that was... Um, uh, Nurse Cowell was during the First World War and I went in that Cowell's ward there I laid there for a while and they looked at me and said mm, it's not too bad, we'll get we'll get there etc, okay, which they did and I was in there for two weeks and then I said, <coughs> of course the war was nearly over then it's only two weeks to go yeah. um, you better have a bit of convalescence we can have a couple of year, a couple of weeks of convalescence. Well, I mean, I didn't know the war was going to be finished then, but <laughs> it did. And uh, then, after two weeks, they said, "Right, we'll go to convalescence now." And he went to this other place. Um, it was a nice big building with um, oh. Well, it looked as if it had been a rich person's house, you know. Yep. And it was all, and there were quite a lot, they were nearly all army officers in there. Because I hadn't got any insignia or anything because my tunic and everything had been torn off. And all I'd got was an ordinary tunic, no, nothing on it, no wings, no anything. So they all looked at me and, oh, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> anyway. They said, well, your bed will be over there, and they pointed where, I, where I'd got to stay. So I went there and uh, undressed, got into bed, and a lady later came along with a cup of tea. And I said, thank you very much. And I didn't know until the following day when one of the other army officers said, you know who that is that's looking after you, don't you? No. 
a photo somewhere. La Lady Mary Churchill. Right. Winston's daughter. Which was really, really good. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, so we, I was there for two weeks and we, they used to hold dances and everything. And said, Come on, she said, you're going to dance with me and everything. And it was, it was something. I mean, later she married Earl Soames, one of the top M um, government fellows. Yeah. And she'd got some sons by then. And she's a baroness. Well, I suppose, but she's dead now anyway. But that was really nice. And she was a really nice person, too. Are you all right? She said, yeah. Are you feeling comfortable? Yeah. Well, is there anything I can get you? So, you know, it's a sort of real genuine person. Yeah. Awesome. <coughs> that, that sort of backed me up a bit. Well, then we went from there to Sala, which is near Belson, where the sheriffs killed so many people. Because yeah. all the people around said, we didn't know what was going on. But you couldn't bloody help it. It's a stench all the time. Yeah. Terrible. And then the doc said, right, there's quite a few of us there. He said, I think you ought to go and see this. Actually go and see what, what's been done. But before you go, you've all got to have a shot, um, inoculation. And so we did that. And then they got some civilians in there as well. They got them to move the dead bodies that were lying around. And they had a big bulldozer and they made a bloody great pit. As big as this room, I suppose. And they just pushed all the dead bodies in. And his arms gone under blades and... Oh, you know, it was, it was sickening. How they could even think about doing things like that. And then, of course, the others, which they never did say anything about, the Scottish soldiers were in there first, and they got a lot of the guards and everything. They put them in one of the buildings and set fire to the buggers. But, yeah. Wow. <laughs> And you can understand it too. Oh, you know, you you can't visualise it. Really. You 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 have got to actually see it, and the smell, yeah, the smell of death everywhere. And of course, they were all bloody naked. They were heaped up in piles. Wasn't that really nasty? Well, then we we left that, and um, well, that's when I met. Um, 485 squadron with um, what was his name? Uh, Brown? Stan. Yeah. Stan Brown. Yeah. yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah okay. Stan came to mind once or twice. Right. And uh, he he was actually made CEO of 485 squadron in Sala when I was there. Okay. Yeah. Just temporary. And uh, but uh, yeah, he was lucky. He had some lucky escapes. Okay. But, uh, it was so really, I mean, briefly, that's what happened. You know, I was sort of... I had one, oh, another, another time we attacked the ships, M-class minesweepers, down in the 
by behind the Channel Islands, Marlow, Marlow. And we went in there one night, well, just before dark, because the uh, Y service says that there's six M-class minesweepers and two flat sheeps just leaving um, the harbour, Marlow Harbour. So the uh, Ralph, of course, said, we better clobber them. Now, you six aircraft, get away fairly quick and go and act as anti-flak. Keep the flak down so that the typhoons can come in and drop bombs on them. Well, I'd never in all my life seen bloody flak like it. It was, well, you, could, you couldn't fly through a hailstorm uh, without getting hit. It was, well, you could see it coming out everywhere. You know, hundreds of bloody things. And you're actually ducking down like that. Like, oh, it was scary. It really was. And I thought, I'm going to get bloody killed here. And uh, anyway, we got away with it. Everybody got back. But as we flew over the ships, I was doing about 420 or 30, I suppose. That was out of a bunk. And a bloody shelf from a ship had come just behind us, my seat the, on the armour plate at the other side because it was double armour plate on those and exploded and you should have seen a bloody fuselage uh, it, it, it was you know it really was it knocked the oxygen out and radio out and everything else well it would I worked it out that the speed I was going, it would have taken about point two hundred of a second to have actually gone straight through me. It was just, you know where the round wall is on the side, it was just on the edge of the round wall. So that, that was the nearest I've ever realised, well the ones that I've actually seen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was a shocker. Well, thank you very much for this uh, interview. It's been fascinating. Well, I, I hope you absolutely. got some of it. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, really, really interesting. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.